Good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you today. This is such a busy time of the year. It's an exciting time of the year, but we've got so much going on. And uh, boy, I enjoyed the choir this morning. You know, one of the things I love about coming to church also is you don't know quite what a service is going to feel like when you get here, right? So last week it was acoustic week, and uh, this week it's choir week. Got to come next week to see what, uh, what, how we're going to approach the worship and the time of service. But am I going blind or are you all in the dark? <laughs> so... We got a problem with the lights or something? Because I got to see who I'm talking to or I'm going to lose my mind. I'll just, or you could all leave and I won't even know it. So, <laughs> so no, it's just such a busy time of the year. Uh, you know, last week, if you weren't here, I hope that you will uh, go back and listen to last week's sermon. You can catch that on YouTube. You can also catch that on our church media page at Life Charlotte slash media. Uh, but Pastor Ben kind of gave a, a little glimpse, a little look into what, uh, what we can expect in the future as we talk about how to take the gospel out of this place and around the world into the community, the One Life Challenge. Who do you know that's close to you but far from God that, uh, that, that you can be uh, the story of the gospel in their life? And you st- we're going to use the bless. Or the first thing is you got to make sure you're praying for them and, uh, and that concept. So uh, if you haven't seen that message from last week, please go back and watch that. You won't, you won't feel connected to some of the things we talk about if you don't do that. Um, but, uh, but and then uh, P- Pastor Ben, uh, by the way, uh, this week he is up in, uh, well, first of all, he took a group of our elders uh, to uh, Austin, Texas this week to get some training on how we can be more effective in going into the uh, community uh, using a, a network of churches that we're part of. Uh, but then he's up in Michigan tonight or today and yesterday uh, preaching to a, a family conference and uh, particularly to a group of men on some things uh, that uh, uh, are pertinent to us today in our culture. Uh, I had a wedding yesterday, had a wedding last week, had a wedding this week. Ben and I got a couple weddings coming up in October, so it's that time of the year. Bible studies all over the place. I was watching people stream into some of the Bible studies we've got going on. Communion DeVita, man, were they rocking this morning? I'm telling you what, you could hear them uh, worshiping and, and so forth. That's going great guns. So we've got our, our uh, uh, Spanish-speaking service going on. Bible studies on Tuesday. Our ladies group is just doing fantastic. We got men coming together on Saturday morning. I'm sitting in small groups everywhere. My small group just keeps bursting at the scenes. I keep thinking, well, maybe it'll get a little smaller and, and more intimate. And, and then another wave comes in. And I'm so thankful for Troy Pugh and his leadership as we work with college kids. We're starting a new young couples class, uh, uh, group. Uh, we had one. It got too big. So now we've got two uh, that are starting. So I'm just telling you, there's a good thing. We have, by the way, we have another life group starting in Mooresville. So if you live in the Mooresville area looking for a life group, that, that's getting started. Good things going on. COVID is over. President said so this week. Did you hear him? He said the pandemic is over. So in case you're wondering, it's over. And if you're watching on, online, Come on home. We're glad to see you. We're, we're, uh, but we'd like to see you face-to-face if you would. Uh, we'd love to have you back. But good things going on, and we praise the Lord for it. I'm so excited about this, this study that we've been doing. And as we go into Daniel now, we're kind of getting into some of those chapters that have some really interesting. And, and by the way, there's just no way that Ben and I can, can do this. I mean, we're taking all fall to do it. We're taking uh, like five months to do this. And we're just scratching the surface. I'm hoping you're reading and studying and going deeper in it on your own. Today we're in chapter four. Next week we'll be in chapter four. I'm going to take the first half. Pastor Ben's going to take the second half next week. And, and we're going to try to make some applications. But I want you to understand there's so much more there. And we, you don't eat once a week, right? 
looking at all of us? No, we don't. Definitely do that once a week. We eat all throughout the week. So use what we start on Sunday. Study it in your devotions. Talk about it in your small groups. Think about it while you're driving to work or you're exercising. But let it get deeper and deeper into you because there's so much more here. And, and we're, we're hopefully kind of setting up the plate giving you a little bit of an appetizer, but I hope you're studying more as we talk about thriving in Babylon. I've been getting so many comments and emails and phone calls and questions as we're thinking about how do we as believers in 2022 deal with a culture that is shifting radically away from biblical values? How do we stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How do we stand like Daniel in the face of opposition to those values that, that, that we find rooted in Scripture. But most of all, how do we make a difference to those who walk in darkness, who don't know the Savior? By the way, it's ludicrous for us to worry about conduct until we talk about conversion. Because conversion precedes conduct that matters. And you can force someone to act in a certain way, but unless they've met Jesus... Unless they're walking in truth, unless they understand the power of the gospel, it's just, it's just an identity. And, and we're, more than, we're more than our political affiliation. We're more than our national identity. We're more than our educational background or our socioeconomic level. We're more than that. We are children created in the image of God pursuing truth if you know Christ. And that is what we should be focused on more than anything else. So as we look at this passage this morning, back and forth, because to me it's really, really important to, to read all the scripture or whatever. We've got communion this morning, and we've got a lot of things going on. If I just read this passage, because they're long verses, taking about seven or eight minutes. So we're, we're kind of looking at it in snippets, and I'm going to give you the overview. And I ask on social media this week, you to go ahead and read it, and hopefully you did if you follow me on social media. But, but here's it. We're not going to read the entire passage, because it basically repeats itself and so forth. But I'm, I want to just kind of talk to you about what it means, and I want to talk to you about how it applies to us today. Because in this passage, it is one of the most unique passages in all of Scripture, let alone Daniel. And while we read, you know, verses 8 through uh, to 12 just a few moments ago, um, I, I want to make sure you understand the context of what's being told here. It, 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 it's, this is a mini-biography. It's, it's a story. Uh, in, in fact, some theologians refer to this as a track within the book like, you know, a track, a, a little pamphlet. And it was written, this passage was written by none other than Nebuchadnezzar himself. Now you stop and think about that. Nebuchadnezzar, this egomaniacal dictator, out of control uh, dude who was leading this Babylonian empire, which was, which was just so vile, so violent, so, so difficult. And you say he wrote part of the word of God? He, he, he penned this? And how does this work? Well, you know, I often say this. Well, if, if, if God can use a country boy from Missouri, if God can use a donkey, he can use anybody. And in this case, he used, he used Nebuchadnezzar. All right? And, and so God's not limited by what we lack. And, 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 and God's not defined by how we behave. Uh, God is independent of all that, and he can use whom he wishes. And that's what he has done here. So he's inserted into the book of Daniel uh, this, this story, this firsthand account uh, that Nebuchadnezzar gives that's his story. It's his journey. 
and how his own journey as the head of a world empire, as this, this, you know, this king, this dictator, this tyrant at some level, his journey intersects with a guy he knows as Belteshazzar. He renamed him from God is my judge to son of, son of his pagan God. And, and so this intersection with Belteshazzar, and it changed the trajectory of his life and how he viewed things. And in this, God said, this intersection of journeys is significant, and I don't want you to miss it. Because here's the bottom line truth. Our journey, your journey, my journey, Nebuchadnezzar's journey, Daniel's journey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's journey, doesn't matter who we are, our journeys in the end are telling his story. They're telling God's story. God uses our path supernaturally to glorify himself, to call us to repentance, to warn us, to challenge us, to comfort us, to motivate us, to encourage us. And I want you to understand this. In a world today that I think a lot of people, particularly our younger people, feel anonymous, feel, feel confused, feel overwhelmed, God is at work in your journey, even when you don't see it. The problems you have, the blessings you receive, the reprimands and consequences that are connected to our stupidity or our wickedness are still part of God's story. And if we look around, there's a lot to learn from that. And that's what the story of Daniel chapter four is all about. And we could speak a month of Sundays on the themes and, 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 and the sub-themes of, of this passage. It, it contains so much insight into, into this mysterious guy we call Nebuchadnezzar, this, this, this unusual leader. He, you know, is he, is he an egomaniac or was he a gifted ruler of a world empire? You know, was, was he arrogant? But yet we see him humbled repeatedly in the scripture. Uh, he, he seems self-assured, but other times he seemed confused. He'd make a great candidate for president, quite frankly, because a lot of big leaders have these kind of characteristics. You see this one side and this other side, and, and, and how, do, how does all of that work? But he's sharing his journey with the readers of this period of his life, and in this part of his journey, he comes into contact and meets the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Daniel, even the God of Belteshazzar. And in rawness, he's teaching us a lesson that I'm not quite sure he even intended to share. I don't even think at this point where he's given us a story that he's quite understanding everything God's doing in his life. And by the way, that's not unique. The fact is, there are going to be times later on in your life, and you're going to look back during a period of your life when God seemed very far away, or you're like, God, what's up? Have you forgotten me? Or are you there at all? And, and then all of a sudden, a few years have passed, and other things have fallen into place, and you say, oh, that's what God was teaching me. Or today, I'm applying what I learned then, but didn't really realize what I was learning. Or... And this is where I want you to think in light of last week's message. 
God may use the experiences of your today to help you connect with somebody tomorrow who will be close to you but far from him. And your story, your journey, will be something you can use for God's glory to connect to them and point them to him. And that's kind of what we see going on in, in this passage as we look at this dream that, that, uh, that Daniel had. But I want you to make sure you understand this. God is at work in every leg, every turn, every step of your own journey. Because our journey, our story, our, our path does not unfold separately from what God is doing all around us. Now, we often believe and act like the world revolves around us. And, and yeah, I even do that. All right? There are times when, when you know, and that's, that's, that's the mystery, I think, of, of our God in that he's a personal savior. We talk to him. He speaks to us through his word, through his Holy Spirit. We pray to him with an expectation that he hears our prayers. And so over the passage of time, he becomes so personal, that relationship is so intimate, and that's the way it's designed to be, that we sometimes forget that we are bit players in this. It isn't all about us. Sometimes God calls us or allows us to suffer or to stumble. He doesn't cause us to stumble, but when we stumble, he has something to teach us in that moment. But God is working apart from us while he's working in us. There's a greater narrative that is taking place. A greater narrative of redemption of a fallen creation. And while we are important to him, make no doubt about that. While we're important to him, there's more going on than just involving us. And we need to be humble enough to realize that and at times accept that even when we don't like that. We may think that we are somehow the center of God's universe and attention, but in the end, everything, everybody, everyone, at all times, we have to understand that God is accomplishing something greater in his creation that will ultimately glorify himself, not us. The glory belongs to him, not us. And as sure as we begin to think that, well, I'm all that, that somehow we're untouchable, or immune, or irreplaceable. God, in an instant, can level us. This is what we see in this passage. He can turn us into a beast, so to speak. Like a tree that's felled in the woods, we're but a tool, an illustration, a footnote to what God is doing all around us at all times. Because in the end, and here's where I want, what do I want you to take, this is the theme of the message, our journey tells his story, his story. So, one other thing I want to say before we kind of get into the meat of this. In this period of time, God spoke frequently through dreams. Now, some of us are really vivid dreamers and some, some of us aren't. Uh, I kind of go through phases myself. There are times I, I dream in color. I couldn't figure out whether I dreamed in color, so I thought, well, next time I dream, I'm going to try to remember whether I dreamed in color or not. You, ever, you, know, you don't know whether you're, you're uh, the scent at the time or, or whatever, but yes, I, 
I have concluded I do dream in color. Not everybody does. Some of you dream in black and white. And, and I don't always remember my dreams. And sometimes I know I'm dreaming while I'm dreaming, and other times I don't know I'm dreaming, and then you wake up and you're sweating, or you're, you're like, what was that all about? Or that was weird. Or, uh, and, and, then I, and sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night with a dream, and I'm thinking, I'm going to remember that in the morning, and then I don't. Uh, you ever do that? Uh, you ever wake up in the middle of the night halfway through a dream and say, I like that dream. I'd like to continue that after I visit the restroom. But no, you can't, you can't pull that one off either, right? It just it doesn't work. Dreams are weird. They're weird. But during this period of time, we see multiple examples that God often spoke it, spoke through dreams. And he did it not only in the lives of believers, but in the lives of unbelievers, the pagans as well. They had dreams in which God was speaking to them. So and I'm not going to try to get too theologically deep. That's not the purpose of where we're at this morning. There are explanations and there are theories for why this was the case. But one thing is indisputable. Scripture records periods during which God chose to reveal himself through miracles, through dreams, through supernatural acts and actions, sometimes through catastrophes, sometimes through visions. You say, Dan, explain all that to me. I can't. But I'm often asked the question, can God, does God still do that today? Does he speak through visions? And my answer to you is this, because this is a question, I, in fact, I probably ought to do a podcast on this sometime, Pastor Ben. But, but and, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, we are not a church that, that actively practices the charismatic gifts that many congregations do, speaking in tongues and healings and so forth. And you, and, and you say, why? Because many of us are, are of a theological bent that, that says those were primarily active during the days of the apostles before the scripture was completed to establish the church. That, that would be kind of where not everybody in this church, but the majority of us would. We have friends who see it differently and you know, it's not an orthodox doctrine that, you know, is the difference between salvation and not. But for, for us, we believe that the word of God, and I'm not saying that people who believe in tongues and so forth don't believe this also, but for us, this is, this is it, all right? Uh, we believe God has given us everything we need to know through this. I don't need a dream to confirm the scripture. In fact, I should be using the scripture to help me understand my dreams. See the inverse on that? This is our authority. And if someone says, and I've had people say this to me, well, God told me to tell you this. And when somebody tells me that, uh, my first question is, well, how come God told you and not me? Because as far as I know, I got the same line you do, all right? So that's always confusing me. And the second thing is like, uh-oh. <laughs> what is it he really wants to tell me that he's going to blame on God right now? Because, you know, that, that always raises my suspicions a little bit. But whatever they say, I will tell you this, I always filter it through the word of God. I always filter it through the word of God. Why? Because this is our more sure word, is what Peter said. It is our sure word of prophecy. It is, it is absolute. It doesn't change, and this is our authority. But with that, that being said, you say, Dan, do you believe that these supernatural experiences, can they occur today? And I would say this. If I really believe God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, all right? If I really believe that, I can't say God never uses these examples of supernatural Acts. I believe that he does. I have been around the world, you know, multiple times on missions trips, and I've shared some of your stories. Some of the stories, quite frankly, I don't share with you because I think if I told them to you, you'd think I was nuts. <laughs> so, but there have been some things I've been in some really dark parts of the world, and I've had people share stories and examples and things God has done in their life that, that honestly make me scratch my head and wonder what in the world's going on, but they're absolutely convinced. I've known people, for instance, in the Middle East 
where, you know, owning a Bible is unto the penalty of death if you're a citizen of that country. If you own a scripture, you're going to die. Uh, you're not allowed. And yet they can give me vivid dreams that they have had whereupon someone has given them the gospel in their dream and has moved them forward on a journey toward receiving Christ. You say, Dan, explain that. I can't. But then again, I also believe that God is bigger than Dan's ability to understand. And, and so I believe those things occur. I have, I have heard testimonies of people who have experienced is it, you know, uh, moments that they can't explain of, of, of having a conversation that no one else was aware of. And again, it always was bringing them toward the gospel. So, and I'm not going to get too deep in this because it'll weird some of you out and so forth. And it's, it's fun. You know, I'm a seminary professor on top of all this. And I love talking with my seminary students and arguing and debating, you know, about this stuff. But I want to say this to you. Don't ever limit God. Don't ever limit God. Now, we have a way to interpret because we have scripture and we have the Holy Spirit in us. But don't ever, don't ever limit what God is going to do because he will not be thwarted by our limitations. God was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar and he did so in a dream and the message was very, very powerful. And so when we read this, we understand this is how, they, they didn't have, you know, a, a beautiful uh, ESV scripture to be able to unfold and see the whole plan of salvation. God was doing it through imagery and pictures and prophets and visions and dreams during this time. And now we look back on it, we see the record of it, and we can interpret in light of the completed scripture. They didn't have that benefit. And so Nebuchadnezzar, one morning he wakes up and he said, wow, did I have a doozy last night? Wow, was this an incredible dream? And he said, my dream went something like this. I, I was in a forest and, and, and I saw this big, beautiful tree and in the tree there were birds and, the, and it was a beautiful tree and the leaves were amazing and fruit, it had every kind of fruit imaginable. It was productive, the, the birds were happy. Underneath the tree, there were all kinds of wildlife, little bunnies and little squirrels and, and deer and, and there, everything around it. And it was just very, very beautiful. And, and, and he said, all of a sudden, I got this messenger that comes down and next thing I know, the tree is chopped down. I mean, just boom, chopped down, falls over in the woods. And, and, and they put a band around it, though. They, they didn't destroy the stump. In fact, they intentionally preserved the stump. And, and it said all the birds left, and all the animals left, and all the leaves fell off, and all the fruit rotted. And the tree was decaying over here for a period of seven passages of time, which we interpret probably seven years. A passage of time would be like one year. And for seven years, it, it laid over there, he said, but in the meantime, he said, out of that, that stump, new life came. New life came, and the, and the tree regrew. And, and, and he said, but he said, I saw myself there, and, and I'm wet. I'm all wet with like the dew from the grass and my mind's cloudy and confused and I'm not thinking and what's going on here? So in those days, they would have the, a court like the British court or any other courts they'd have. And among his court, he would have all kinds of scientists and business people and scholars. And he had a group called the Magi. And, and these were interpreters of law and interpreters of dreams. In fact, these are the same kind of people that went to see Jesus after he was born. Uh, and, and it was where we get the word magician, but also where we get the word magistrate. All right? So these weren't just crackpots. These were, these were educated people that had a gift of insight based on their knowledge. 
And so he would call them and, and some of them, you know, would wow people with what they could do. In their mat. And he said, I need you to tell me what this dream was about. We're like, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. And by the way, in those days, the king had the prerogative. If he called you and asked you to do something and you didn't do it the way he liked it, he'd just take your head off. You were done. Toast. You know. And so like when you got called to give the king some advice, I mean, you were nervous. Because as you would come before the king, you realize, if I give him an answer he doesn't like, if I give him the wrong answer, if what I say is going to happen doesn't happen, this could be the end for me. So it wasn't like people weren't looking forward to saying, hey, the king wants you to come and give him some advice. They're like, yes. No, they're like, oh, great. Here we go. This could be it. And so he, he brought them all in, and they couldn't come up with it. And he said, oh, what's that guy's name? Uh, uh, Bel- Belta, Belta, uh, oh, Belteshazzar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he did one of my other dreams before. Let's bring him in here. Let's see what he has to say. And the scripture seems to indicate in chapter four that, you know, Daniel wasn't real wild about this either. Yeah, and, and by the way, he had a lot of reasons not to like the guy, right? He took him away from his home. He castrated him. And there was a lot of things that had happened to Daniel at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, where I'm sure that it, in general, but he was also loyal. And he said, okay, I'm going to do my best. He wasn't loyal to him as much as he was loyal to God. And he figured God was doing something. So he came in and he said, yeah, I'll tell you what your dream means if you really want to hear it but you need to make sure you really want to hear it. And he said, yeah, tell me, you're, you're safe. So Nebuchadnezzar kind of said, you're, you're good. And he said, well, here's what it is. He said, man, you are one great king. You are amazing. You are powerful. And that was pretty obvious. I mean, Babylonian empire was amazing. He said, yeah, yeah I just want you to know. He said, but here, here's what it means. He said, your kingdom's going to get, you're going to get cut down. You're going to get cut down. And for seven years, you're going to be a total mess. But don't give up because God's not finished with you yet. And he'll restore you, but there's going to be a period of time where it's not going to be good for you. Now, we're going to look at what that meant next week. I'm not trying to get into the details. I'm just trying to give you the overview right now. But we know if you read the second half, basically, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind for about seven years, so much that he quit taking care of himself, no hygiene, no cutting of his fingernails, no cutting of his hair. He basically lived in the pra- on the prairie and in the woods. Uh, he crawled around like an animal and ate grass, All right? Kind of going to lose confidence in a leader like that, aren't you? But that's what happened for seven years. He just basically lost it. But after seven years, he came back. And this prophecy was fulfilled, but it was a very humbling thing. Can you imagine going from the head of the most powerful empire on the planet at that time? And uh, yeah, yeah, where, where is Nebuchadnezzar? I haven't seen him for a little while. Oh, he's behind the castle. And last time I saw him, he was chewing some grass. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that wouldn't surprise me in some of our politicians, but it was kind of shocking for Nebuchadnezzar. But after seven years, he was restored. So I want to kind of back up. We'll finish the story. Ben will finish the story next week when he teaches this. But here's, here's where I want to go with this. Again, God is doing something in your life. And it may catch you by surprise. It may be shocking. It may be the fact that you have messed it up. It may be that you're strolling into sin. It may be that you've made an unwise decision and the consequences are unfolding every day in your life. But God's story and your journey together can have a meaning that glorifies God. This is what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what can happen with you and I as well.
Now, at the end of this passage, Daniel confronts Nebuchadnezzar. And he confronts him with three sins. He says, okay, this is what's going to happen to you, but you still, God's not finished with you yet. And here's my counsel to you from Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, first of all, watch your pride, dude. Watch your pride. Now, we know that, you know, I'm going going to erect a statue. I mean, all kinds of stuff going on in his life, right? He he wanted all the praise and all the glory. Nebuchadnezzar was the dude that would put his name on the side of every brick so that when you visited Babel, by the way, Babel was an amazing city. The Gardens of Babel was one of the wonders of the ancient world. You know, this was a spectacular place. He was building that, uh, you know, he he built kinds of temples and ziggurats and libraries and all kinds of things that were were going on. But they all had Nebuchadnezzar's name on them because it was all about Nebuchadnezzar. He, he didn't want anybody to forget him. And, and, and Daniel says to him, look, you got a pride problem, dude, and you need to back off from that. But, but the other thing he said, I, I want you to make sure you do is, you've got an opportunity to deal with your unrighteousness. And, and, and he said, you need to confess that. You need to, you need to make that right. And then, and then the third thing he said, and, and by the way, look around you, there's a lot of oppressed people. You ought to be showing compassion on them. So there were three things that he pointed out in this passage to him. He said, you're pride-filled. You need to shape up your conduct because you're walking in unrighteousness. He's worshiping pagan gods for a starter. And then the third thing is that you're ignoring the oppressed. You're just, you're just trampling on them. So in other words, he confronted him with his core sins and said, don't waste the judgment by ignoring what you need to address during the judgment. Now, let me kind of tie this up, and then we're going to take communion together as a body. What do we need to know from this? Here's the first thing. God has you on a journey, and he wants you to share the story of that journey. I always look for that one big thought. I've got 38 minutes this morning to talk to you. What is the thing I want you to remember? It's this, right? It's this right here. If you don't remember anything else about this message, remember this. God has you on a journey. Think about that for a moment. Your journey is different than mine, but you have a journey. But that journey ought not be lived in anonymity, shouldn't be lived in isolation. God wants to use your journey to tell his story. And he wants you to, if you've got a story, what do you do with it? You tell it. You tell your story. You don't hide it. You don't pretend it didn't happen, but you use it. And this is literally what God gave us as an example with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, stop and think about of all the things that Nebuchadnezzar accomplished, we get to hear about how he spent seven years eating grass and, and, and having long fingernails and, and not cutting his hair and, and living like an animal. Of all the things that, that could be here, we, we, we get to learn one of, those, one of those periods in his time. Now, I want you to understand, in your life, you're going to accomplish some great things. And they're going to be wonderful. You may get promoted. You may get a degree. You may write a book. You may, you may uh, you know, start a foundation. You may have beautiful children who grow up that you're so proud of. You may have a lifelong marriage that, that is an example of, of what you want it to be. These are good things, but there are going to be some other things in your life that are not so good, that are going to be difficult, that when you think about them are going to be painful or maybe even embarrassing. And those parts in your journey as well, 
Not only they're important because they can give God the glory, but they're important because they connect with other people who may be broken and hurting as well. Right after my wife and I got married, I'm the last Burrell in my bloodline, all right? Last one. My my uncle who shares my last name had girls, all right? I'm the only boy in my family. No other Burrells in our line. When I was that tall, before I even knew where babies came from, my grandpa started on me. Dad, you gotta have a son, you gotta have a son. You gotta keep the line going, you gotta have a son, you gotta keep the line going. I don't care if you have 28 kids, that 29th one better be a boy. That's how I was taught. My wife and I get married. A couple years out into our marriage, she gets pregnant. It's what they call an ectopic pregnancy. Cannot survive, it's caught in her fallopian tube, and we lose that baby. I almost lost my wife in the process of it. Doctor said, ah, not a problem, it's a fluke. Never happened again, don't worry about it. Another year passed, pregnant again. Same thing happened to other tube. You only got two tries, right? And they said, well, there's always an option. Or in those days, you can try in vitro, but in those days, it had like a 10% success rate. It was $50,000, and my wife and my combined income was 20. We were Christian school teachers. Yeah. So there's just no way for that. But we found somebody who could do surgery. And they said, we can, I think we can reconnect the tube. And so they did. Reconnected one of the tubes. Third ectopic pregnancy. It was over. It was done. We were done. But I got to tell you, it was devastating. Devastating. Now, I love my children. And you all know the story of our adoption journey, and I love that, and there's no question about it. But from that high, I was told, the bloodline needs to continue with you, right? And I, I really wrestled with God on this. I mean, I wrestled hard and long. Because, I mean, I grew up in the faith and in the church. And I'm like, God, you know, I kept, I kept my end of the bargain because I had a transactional relationship with God. I do good things, you give me blessings. I do more good things, you give me more blessings. And in the end, you know, it all works out for Dan. It's all about me. And God had to, in that time in my life, when I was still a Christian school principal and working in education, I didn't know what he was doing for me in my future, but I needed to have the kind of relationship with him that was not transactional, but was genuine, because I knew who I was and I knew God was. And that God is not good simply because I'm behaving. God is good regardless of what's going on in my life. God is always good. And I needed to change that. And if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be getting blessings. I'd already be in hell if I got what I deserved. But because of God's goodness and God's grace, I had hope. See, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm telling you my journey. Because some of you have lost babies. Some of you are struggling with infertility. Some of you grew up in a place where you viewed God as a cosmic vending machine. You insert prayers, get blessings out. But it's all a transactional relationship. Some of you are really disappointed with God right now, and you're wondering why he's not keeping his end of the deal that you perceived that you had made with him. But in my journey, I had to discover this because I don't think I could have ever been a pastor had I not gone through this and still come out saying, I believe. And not only do I still believe, I believe stronger, better, more accurately now. So God chose to use my pain to grow me deeper. You say, well, Dan, was it worth it? I'm not going to tell you (laughs) that I enjoyed that, that I would want to go through that again, that I'm happy I had to go through it. 
I will just simply tell you this, it doesn't matter because in the end, God is still God and Dan is still Dan and Dan's job is to glorify God. That's my journey. And I want you to connect with that. Now, what's your story? What is your story? Is yours the story of a grand success, the top of the world, everything was going great, and then the economy took a turn, and you lost your business, and you lost your house, and you lost your reputation? Is yours a story of addiction? Is it a story of divorce? Is it a story of failure? Is it a story of infidelity? Is it a story of getting caught committing a crime? Is it a story of depression? Is it a story of... Of, of constant searching for the wrong things? Is it a story of being promiscuous? Is it a story of being someone who's chasing the wrong things their entire life? What is your story? In your story, remember this. God will bring you to a point where your story will glorify God. And by the way, even if you don't recognize it, it'll glorify God. Because we're reminded that God is not mocked. We'll be reminded that, that, that God will not be ignored. We can be reminded that God is just. We can be reminded of a lot of things in rebelling against God. But here's the great thing. When God's working in your life, he's also given you the opportunity to repent and to make things right and to accept his authority in your life. And in that moment, the story expands even greater. But one thing's for sure, you have a story. And that story is significant. And that story has the opportunity to point somebody to God. You say, oh, you don't know me, I'm boring. Oh no, no, you're not. You're not boring at all. But let's assume even you were. Let's assume even you were. Your story is, this boring guy found the most exciting relationship in all the universe. <laughs> you see, there's always a way to point to God in your life. But if you're gonna do that, you gotta be aware of him. And the sad thing is many of us are wasting our journeys because we live apart from any kind of awareness that God's working in our life or wants to do something in our life. Here's the second thing I want you to understand is God is amazingly patient and gracious with us as he awaits our repentance. God is amazingly patient and gracious with us. Stop and think about this. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, honorary guy that he was, came to the top of the world, basically, persecuting God's people, all the things that are going on. And God was long-suffering with him. And even in the midst of all that, he gave him another seven years. I'm, I'm, you're going to go through seven years of judgment, dude, but at the end of that seven years, there, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. At the end of the difficulty, there's hope. Okay. It's just one more reminder that God is patient, far more patient than we deserve. The fact that he hasn't already ended this planet shows his patience. But, I mean, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah. You look at Noah and the You look at all. For 40 years, Noah was building his ark, preaching repentance, waiting for at least one person to pay attention, and nobody did for 40 years. But for 40 years, God said, well, let's give him another day. Let's give him another day. God is long-suffering. But there is a time at the end where finally God's going to say, okay, time's up, click, click. But right now, we can appreciate the fact that God right now still is working in your life and in my life for his glory and our good if we're just smart enough to see it. The third thing is this. God is constantly going after the original sin, and that is pride. 
At the core of Nebuchadnezzar's issues, right? It was this root of pride. I want everybody to look at me. I want everybody to obey me. I want everybody to bow down before me. It's all about me. I'm going to change your name to be like something I like. I mean, just everything about him dripped pride. And when it comes right down to it, many of us miss God's best for our life because we're so stinking proud. I'm too proud to share my story. I'm too proud to repent. I'm too proud to admit I need a savior and I can't do it myself. I'm too proud to even open my eyes and admit that I can't do it all. And yet some of the most powerful steps forward that you will ever make will be in those moments where you finally say, I can't do it by myself. I can't do it by myself. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm broken. I'm at the end of my rope. I need God. And it's at that moment, God has been saying, well, I've been waiting. I've been patient. Now here I am, and he steps into your life. Which brings me to the fourth point, and that is this. God is patient, but he's not going to ignore your sin. He's patient, but there is a payday someday. There is a point in our life where God says, enough. I'm still God, and you are accountable to me. And we don't like to talk about that because we want to be the center of the universe, right? It's a pride issue. Well, I'm not going to worship a God that does that. Well, hang on just a moment. You aren't God. You don't get to declare who or who you won't worship. Because the Bible says at some point in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So you can make your little pontifications all you want. But in the end, all of us will eventually bow our knee before his authority. It's the height of arrogance, the height of arrogance to tell God the terms on which we will obey or, or, or worship him. You say, well, that's just kind of old-fashioned. Again, our perspectives, our views don't matter in the face of authority. What we ought to be doing is looking for truth and exploring truth and understanding that because the consequences are huge. The fifth thing is this. God's discipline of us is for our good in his glory. It's for our good in his glory. Are you one of those people that seems like everything you do, you get caught if you do something wrong, you know? Yeah. I'm always getting caught. I, I, I used to say that to my mom all the time. You know, I can't get away with anything. And she'd say, what do you want to get away with? You know, she, she knew what kind of son she had. And then she would also say to me, well, it must be that God's trying to protect you from yourself. And that was the truth. That was the truth. Sometimes God's trying to protect us from ourselves. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? Very quickly. Number one, remember this. You and I exist for God's glory, not our own. When we get to that point where we're willing to say, I want my life to glorify God, it gets rid of the pride, the ego, the arrogance, and we become servants. And this is so key because you know what? When you have that, you're willing to share your story. And I want to say this to some of you. Some of you got a story that's worth sharing. Some of you would be an encouragement by sharing your story in this body and outside this body. Some of you have overcome addiction. You know what we need in this church right now? We need a leader to get up and say, I'm going to start and own a ministry like Celebrate Recovery. Where I'm going to use the story of my addiction to alcohol or drugs to help others. You say, well, Dan, are there people in this church that are addicted to substances? Well, yeah, yeah. I'm dealing with five right now personally. 
I mean, I'm not dealing with the addiction, but I'm dealing with probably people who are going through the addiction. I've got my own addictions, but not those, all right? But yeah, there are. There are people in here who are like, how much longer before I can get in the car and get my drink? There are people here who have sworn a hundred times I'm never going to use again, and yet they do one more time. You say, well, what are they doing in church? What are sick people doing in hospitals? Yeah. Come to church. We want you here. But we also want you to journey with us, and we want to journey with you. We want to love you and encourage you and point you to the word of God so you get victory over this because your story will give glory to God. People in here with temper problems. Maybe you used to have a temper problem, and maybe your testimony at a men's breakfast would help another guy who absolutely keeps losing it, and he's going to crush his kids, or he's going to damage his relationship with his wife because he can't get victory over that. But you walking with him and telling your story and your journey and how God helped you overcome that may be making all the difference in the world for him. Why? Because your journey is really telling his story. You may have lost a baby. You may have gotten a cancer diagnosis. You may have lost a parent. You may have lost a marriage. You may have lost a job. Your loss can be something God uses to point somebody else to him. It may be your neighbor who's never given a thought about God. But in this moment, you can share. Who do you know that's far from God but close to you that you can begin blessing with the information that will transform not their life, but their eternity. God is calling us to repentance and righteousness. If God is speaking into your heart right now, why are you waiting? (laughs) Even Nebuchadnezzar knew he had to make a change. And we do as well. And by the way, you say, I've got it all together. Then you need to step back and look because there are always areas in our life that God is calling us to improvement or repentance in. Third thing, God is patient and long-suffering but there is a point where he says, enough, enough. And this is really important. I want to say this to young people because I hear this a lot from my college kids, and it's like this. Well, you know, the Bible says all we've got to do is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They know two verses. That's one of them. Because they're counting on that one. Because if they can claim that verse, they can live the way they want to. And I want you to understand, God is not mocked. You are accountable for what you know to be true. So don't think that God gives you a pass to sow your wild oats for a period in your life and he's going to be cool with that. He's not. He's calling all of us to patience, or to repentance. And in his patience, there is an ending point. And we will lose blessings because of our disobedience. The fourth thing is this. The only way we have hope is to repent. And if you're too good, too proud to repent and to admit, then you're missing that key ingredient that'll allow your story to bring glory to God and it'll be good for you. Because without repentance, without repentance, there's no healing. And the last thing is this, our story, lived and shared, has the ability to point others to God. Our story, lived and shared, has the ability to point others to God. Now, My question is this, what is God saying in your life? What is God doing within you that he wants to use, that he wants to bless, through which he wants to draw others to himself?